Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this week I'm joined by Rob Pratt. Rob is an extremely accomplished gentleman in the energy space. We're going to be talking about his career in Washington, D.C. and Central America, developing renewable projects, founding the International Institute for Energy Conservation, which has worked all over the globe, founding Greener U, working in universities. He's got works now going on in the, in the islands in the South Pacific, so it's going to be a fun interview. Delighted to have Rob joining the episode today. Rob, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here with you today. Well, thanks, Ted. Uh, I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, as you know, I have a, I have a lot of respect for you and your career, so I'm, I'm dying to get into it. But let's go all the way back. A softball question. Looks like you grew up in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Is that right? That's right. What did you think you were going to do when you grew up uh, as a little boy? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I thought that, you know, growing up in Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, you know, it was a manufacturing center. Uh, my father worked for Miller's Falls Tool Company making uh, electric tools. He was the chief engineer there. And Greenfield Tap and Die was a big industrial player, 1,400 employees. Miller's Falls employed 800. And so, you know, I, I aspired to be like a company president of one of these big manufacturing companies, which, of course, are no more. There are no manufacturing jobs left in Greenfield, Massachusetts, although the population is about the same. Uh, that was my aspiration, and that didn't really change until I went to college during the Vietnam era. And, uh, and being, being a businessman wasn't really popular then. And uh, so I decided, oh, I have to recalibrate. <laughs> you went to Wesleyan, right? And, and, and what, did, what did you study there? Yeah, I, uh, I was a government history major and, um, and the formative uh, semester, I did a Washington semester program and I've always been a politico and I was really drawn to Washington. Once I went there, uh, I, I said, I want, I, don't want, I want to work on Capitol Hill. So, um, so in reconstituting the, the career plan, I decided to go to law school and, um, and with, a, with an eye towards working on Capitol Hill. And you went to and you went to Georgetown, which is right there. So you were. I went to Georgetown, and then um, and then I I was able to talk my way into the Harvard Kennedy School mid career program, and and got a scholarship. Uh, you know, I think back, I had no plan B. I I just I applied. I, I needed a full scholarship, and I got it. And I I often think like, what if they had said no? <laughs> uh, but. They let me in, and after the mid-career program, I was able to uh, get a job with uh, Congressman Bob Drynan, and I was hired for Nixon's impeachment. So I started in June of uh, 1974, started working on the Judiciary Committee hearings and so forth, and he resigned in August. And, uh, and so my Judiciary impeachment gig was over and I became the energy legislative assistant along with some other stuff. And that's that's where I started getting heavy duty into energy. Really? So if, if Richard Nixon hadn't resigned <laughs> at that time, you might be a lawyer uh, still <laughs> litigating, uh, perhaps at the Supreme Court, litigating. Well, it was it was interesting because, you know, this was a time where we, we were going through the Arab oil embargo. I mean, energy was the number one topic. And I was attracted to working on like the big, the big number one issues, and 
So, uh, so that was, that was a good introduction and, and there was so much going on and there was so much possible. This was the, the ponytail era of clean energy where, uh, you know, the, the people who were pursuing solar and clean energy were the ponytail set. And, uh, you know, we were, we were trying to get it going, but it, it was, you know, this was in the, in the 1970s and uh, we had not made a whole lot of progress back then. And who were you working for at that point? Uh, Bob Drynan was uh, was on the Judiciary Committee um, and, uh, you know, didn't really care anything about energy. But we fortunately had um, a company that I later worked for, Thermoelectron Corporation, whose CEO was George Hitsopoulos. And they were a leader in cogeneration and industrial energy efficiency. And I had read George's book and I was really drawn to what Thermoelectron was doing. Um, and, you know, he... He did a Ford Foundation book on industrial energy efficiency, which was terrific. And um, so I really got enamored with that. And uh, so I filed my very first piece of legislation with, with Bob Drynan called the Industrial Energy Conservation Act of 1975. So this goes back a ways. And the Department of Energy wasn't even created at that point. But uh, this was this passed as part of another bigger piece of legislation and it was the first office of industrial energy efficiency in what was then federal, the Federal Energy Administration. And then, and then when the Department of Energy was created, then this industrial energy efficiency office morphed over into DOE. And how long were you on Capitol Hill then? I was on Capitol for seven years. So I, I worked for Bob for three years and I got an absolutely fabulous job in which I was executive director of the New England Congressional Caucus. And this was the, uh, the official congressional caucus of all of the House members from New England. And this was a time when Tip O'Neill was speaker. And we had some really heavy duty members. We had uh, Eddie Boll and Silconti, who were really high level members of the Appropriations Committee. We had a high level Rules Committee member. We had a lot of power and with Tip there. And um, so we, we did a whole bunch of really interesting things. I mean, one of the one of the big things was uh, uh, Paul Songus came up with this idea. I don't know. Did you have, do you have you come across Paul? Paul, he was a senator from Massachusetts for six years. Yeah. Um, I met him at he was in the Kennedy School program when I was there, and uh, so we met. And then he became the uh, when I became the director of the New England Congressional Caucus, he became the chair of our energy task force. And again, this was a time when energy was really big. So Paul, had, Paul came up with this idea that uh, we, should, we should do an energy plan for New England. We should call people together for a weekend and come up with an energy plan. And after thinking about it for a while, I said, Paul, we're gonna, we're gonna need longer than a weekend to figure out an energy plan for New England. And uh, so, uh, so we came up with this idea and uh, it became the New England Energy Congress. And, here was the final, the final volume. Uh, we uh, so we pulled together 120 delegates um, who worked on this for a year. We had six committees um, because Tip was speaker. We were able to get what turned out to be a half a million dollars to pay for the staff and so forth for this. So out of this, this we this was energy plan for New England. Um, and we got a lot of legislation passed. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, the low income energy assistance program um, that people are quite familiar with that helps poor people pay for their energy bills. That was a recommendation of the Energy Congress. And, and it was the only bill that, that TIP ever testified on as speaker. Um, and uh, we were able to get that passed. It started off as a $200 million program. Now it's a multi-billion dollar program. But uh, we had many, many recommendations that came out of that. It was great. I mean, this was a time when Republicans, Democrats worked together. So I would, I would go to a member who was on the relevant committee and I would, I would go in my, with my Energy Congress book and so forth. And I'd say, uh, Congressman, uh, you're on the such and such committee. And this was a recommendation of the Energy Congress. And they, they knew they had to do it. <laughs> so I was able to get the, the people on the relevant committees to file legislation or appropriations or whatever. And we, uh, I think I had counted up at one time, we had like 25 or 26 uh, recommendations that came out of the Energy Congress. So that was, that was pretty cool. Let's let's fa let's fast forward to um, Energia Global. How did you get from Capitol Hill to Central Central America? Is there? A, I'm sure there were several steps in between. Yeah. The um, what what happened was um, I wanted to do. Um, I like to build things, and um, so after working on Capitol for seven years. Uh, I decided that, um, you know, I would approach George Atopoulos at Thermo Electron and convince him to hire me. Um, and the deal was that, um, you know, I obviously was very well connected politically, but that I would only work half time on lobbying issues. And, you know, the stuff that Thermo Electron was doing was really stuff that I felt very comfortable with. So I didn't mind lobbying, but I didn't want to do it full time for them. So I convinced him to hire me, and he did, and I became uh, kind of an assist, assistant to him um, in the new ventures department. And uh, about a year and a half into it, he said, Rob, we have five divisions working in China. Uh, he said, you know, China is basically a government place. Uh, you know government. Why don't you become director of our China operations? <laughs> so I knew nothing about China, uh, but... Uh, but anyway, it sounded like a cool gig. I was very excited about it. And so I, we had five divisions operating there. And so I was in China a lot. And then we did, a, uh, we did two big cogeneration sessions, one in Beijing and one in Shanghai. They both attracted big audiences, like 300 people in each place. And uh, I knew that we weren't going to be able to uh, pull together a project right away from just those two seminars. So uh, I came up with this idea of uh, China, what became the China-U.S. Metallurgical Energy Conservation Program. And, uh, and it included five U.S. companies. Uh, I got a half million dollars of funding from U.S. Trade and Development uh, for this. Uh, we had a demonstration steel plant in Manshan, which was about four hours north of Shanghai by train. Um, and this was a program that I needed a, a nonprofit to, uh, to, to get the money. So uh, that's how the International Institute for Energy Conservation started. Uh, so I started, I started the IAC in 1984 so we could get the money uh, to do this project. And the project went on for quite a number of years. Um, and we, the IAC, worked in China for 
probably 10 or 15 years after, after that too. So, um, so that's, that's how I, I got into China and the international realm, Asia and, and so forth. And then, and then uh, this energy uh, global, you're building. Yeah. That, hydro yeah. Plant. So um, America, that's fascinating. So I, I started, so I went to Thermoelectron um, in the mid eighties um, I was, I, I started my first company, Praxis, and we were representing Thermoelectron and high technology companies who were trying to sell their products to the federal government. But at the same time, I was going to China uh, for the IIC. I was doing a lot of IIC work. And then, um, and then I, I knew because PURPA had passed, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s. And private power, you know, is a relatively new thing. Um, so, I knew that private power was going to uh, start exploding in other parts of the world. And so in thinking about this, particularly as I was doing the work in the IEC, I figured that the, the, the herd would go to Asia because, you know, with the, with the seven tigers and so forth, everyone would want to go to, to Asia. So I figured that, and having flown to, to China a lot, you know, all the big time differences, I thought, you know, the herd's going to go to Asia. How about if I go to Latin America? And so, um, so we decided to do uh, Energy Global. I'm always, I've always been good in raising, putting together teams. And so I put together a team, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning, you're always working on equity. Um, and so I put together about um, six or seven member team um, for Latin America for Energy Global. And um, and I got Thermoelectron, uh, my good buddy George, to uh, finally agree to a 1.6 million dollar investment in Energy Global. And uh, the first tranche that came in was 250 thousand dollar tranche. When that 250 thousand dollars came in, our our bank account said 250 thousand and seven dollars. <laughs> uh, you know, so you know, you you start these companies, you have no idea where you're going to raise the money. Uh, you know, you first start with raising it with friends and neighbors, and then and then you start. You got to start bringing in the institutional money. Wow. Um, I wound up. I wound up raising. I don't know, over over sixty million in equity, and um, and a quarter billion dollars in debt to uh, to do our various uh, renewable energy projects in in Central America, and then ultimately in Chile. And some of them were. Uh, I, I was reading in your sort of background material. Some of them were high head hydro project. So right. define, what does that mean? I mean, I kind of get it. It must be a high head, but what is it? What is that? How would you define high head? High head is where you've got uh, a water source that is high up such that, you know, you have a penstock like you see in Europe. Uh, and the penstock is, is, you know, like four feet uh, across. Um, you pond the water at a high elevation. So you're not, it's not a big dam. It's just, you're ponding a relatively small amount of water that normally comes off a mountain stream, um, and then um, and then you run it down a penstock that, in our case, would go down the mountain about two miles, and would uh, and the elevation would change by you know fifteen hundred feet or so, and uh, so you got some pretty fast moving water at the end of two miles, and uh, so we were building high head hydro projects that generally were in the 10 to 20 megawatt range. Um, and our first two high head hydros were in Costa Rica 
Uh, Don Pedro was a 14 megawatt project. These were peakers, so they run they'd run about eight hours a day. And then our second project was uh, Rio Volcan, which was a 16 megawatt project. And then a little, a little later, we developed what was at the time Latin America's largest wind project. This was a 24 megawatt uh, project in uh, the Arnal region, which has fabulous wind, where our, our power factor was like 44%, which is really fabulous for wind. And, um, and that, was, that was Latin America's largest wind project at the time, which was pretty exciting. Wow. And then all through this IIEC, International Institute for Energy Conservation, it continued and it continues to this day, right? With right. several offices right. around the world. I've worked for IIEC and several friends have worked for IIEC. Um, but the, fast forward, you, you, you decided to form Greener U. I mean, I guess you got years later, you decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work more locally. I'm not going to be traveling all over the world for, uh, for work. Uh, Greener you came greener you came about you wanted to work with universities and in, in, in the in New England is that right yeah I was actually a funder for seven years so after energy global so the one disappointment with energy global we were very successful everything was going great um, and Wall Street will always tell you that it's really wonderful when you need 100, 100 million dollars <clears throat> and um, when we needed 100 million dollars uh, it happened to be when the dot-com crash occurred. So I had I had five projects in development, mostly hydros. I needed seventy million dollars, um, and uh, and we were we were on our way to an IPO uh, because Tico Energy was the largest private power company in Guatemala. We were the largest private power company in Costa Rica. Together, we had revenue of like one hundred twenty million, and we were profitable. So it was IPOable, but you know when crashes occur, nothing happens on Wall Street. And um, so, you know, I needed $70 million and it was pretty obvious I wasn't going to be able to raise it. So we wound up uh, being acquired by NL. We got, we got, you know, reasonably good price for it and the projects are still operating, which makes me happy. And our Costa Rican employees, we had, by the time we sold the company, we had 80, 80 employees in Latin America. And, uh, you know, all of them continue to have good jobs to the degree that they're still around and so forth. Um, but after, after the company was sold, um, I was hired as the director of the Massachusetts Renewable Energy Trust. So that was a, a $250 million fund. Um, it had recently come out of litigation where there was a suit that said, you can't take away our electricity money like this and put it towards, towards this fund. But they lost, and when I took over, the, took over the trust, there was 180 million dollars in the bank, and the renewable energy community really wanted that money to get out. And so, so my first year, I got, we got 35 million out, and I will, I generally over the uh, three and a half years I was there, I, we were averaging between 35 and 45 million a year, um, and we were supporting all kind of renewable activities from actual projects. We had a community wind program. We had multiple solar programs. We set up a, a seed program for, for startup renewable energy companies. We started a green energy fund. Uh, we had a $70 million rec um, um, monetization uh, fund that would monetize the recs to help people finance their projects. So we did a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. You know, it's when you've been a 
developer when you need money, then when you're on the other end and you're giving out money, uh, you know, you have a good sense of, of what's really needed. And uh, so that was fun. And then, uh, and then I was recruited to the Kendall Foundation. Um, they, they were hiring what they're calling the Al Gore position uh, in which they wanted to, you know, they basically said, you can do anything you want. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just totally open in terms of anything you think you could do to meaningfully affect clean energy, um, climate and so forth, you can do. So that was pretty attractive. So I worked at the Kendall Foundation uh, another three years. So I was a funder for seven years and that was good. But, you know, we, we entrepreneurs, you know, we get after a certain amount of time, we want to start that next gig. And uh, so I was trying to figure out what what the next gig would be. And I was attracted, you know, climate was getting bigger. Um, and I figured if there was one sector that really should get climate change, it should be colleges and universities. And I was envisioning that we could grow a, a pretty good sized company because I, I thought that, you know, with college and universities having a longer, a longer view in terms of paybacks and so forth, and with their, you know, student bodies that would that I thought would be really lobbying for climate action and so forth, I thought we could build a, a fairly good sized company. You know, we built a, a company that, you know, continues to stay. I just had a board call this morning. Um, you know, I was hoping that be a, we'd be a 50, $100 million company by now. Uh, uh, we've never gotten higher than 15 million a year. So we generally do 10, 15 million. The COVID hurt us because, uh, you know, the, uh, a lot of the universities pulled back for a period. Um, and so we had to, we lost some of our employees, but, but it's still going strong and we're, we got a, a good management team. And so I'm, I continue as chairman of the board. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it didn't become as big as I, I would have liked. Yeah. And that, that company is green or you. Green and, or you. And, and was it exclusively new England or is it exclusively new England or does it go beyond that? No, we, we, uh, we do a lot of climate and sustainability uh, work with colleges all over the country. Uh, most of our implementation work is in the Northeast. Uh, a lot of it's in, in New England, um, some of it's in New York. Um, and, you know, we, we do, you know, one, two, $5 million efficiency projects with colleges and universities. We've got a project going right now with uh, Harvard Medical School for a $7 million efficiency program. And so we get in, uh, analyze where they can save energy and so forth. Colleges normally have a little longer payback parameter. So, you know, for example, we've done, we've probably done $25 million of work at Brown University and they will work with a 10 year payback, which as you know, is, is pretty good. Not many companies will work with a 10 year payback. Um, and so, you know, we do, we've been doing three or $4 million worth of work at Yale medical school each year. And so, um, you know, some of the gigs are smaller, some of them are larger, uh, but it's, it's mostly around efficiency, uh, some solar, but mostly efficiency. Yeah, it's really, really meaning, really meaningful work. I know it well, and we have a small partnership, Greener You and EcoMotion. And yes, actually, just this morning, uh, we were dealing with a slide deck for UMass Dartmouth that's being modified for for, for them. But so I'm I'm really? I'm impressed by that. So you've got you've you founded these things that have that, that carry on. I mean, I think of IEC in particular and. And then Greener You, those are amazing organizations that you must be very proud of. 
Well, it's 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 great. I mean, I I really enjoy sort of focusing on things that can make a difference. And you know, you sometimes you you get them right, and sometimes you don't. I mean, all of my stuff, um, you know, have worked. It's just a matter of how big they get. You know, um, and um, you know this 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 current gig in the Pacific Islands that you and I have talked about a little bit. Um, I just got back from the Solomons like last week. And, uh, and that was absolutely fascinating. And, you know, when you do your, your latest gig, you apply the knowledge that, uh, that you have picked up over a career of, of doing different things. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the big projects we did when I was at the Kendall Foundation, we did the Cambridge Energy Alliance. And the idea there was doing large-scale energy efficiency where we really, you know, get the whole community involved, the industrial, commercial uh, residential uh, government and uh, universities and so forth and and uh, but do it large scale and uh, so that project Cambridge Energy Alliance is still going on too as part of the 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 government of Cambridge uh, so that's going on but you know the mistake I made there is and we we involved the governor we involved uh, you know all the high level officials we had this big press conference we had. Uh, uh, Tom May, the head of, uh, uh, at the time, uh, Boston Edison, uh, now NSTAR, um, he came to the press conference and, you know, we were off to a great start. And the mistake we made by having all that press, we got absolutely deluged by the residential customers. And as we all know, you know, what you need to, where, where you get the big impacts is with the big commercial industrial uh, projects. And so, on this uh, on this project that we're working on on the Solomon Islands, I'm not going to make that mistake again because uh, we're putting together with uh, Solomon Power a big solar energy efficiency energy storage program. With um, it looks like we're going to be able to get ten million dollars of financing from the Asia Development Bank, and um, so I said I said to the utility, I, you know, because people are saying, well, because this is gonna, this can be ESCO financing. This will be the first ESCO financing in the Pacific Islands. Um, and so Asian Development Bank's pretty excited about this because if this works, we could replicate it in a lot of other places. Um, the problem with ESCO financing is it requires a lot of sophistication and knowledge. Uh, and you've got to do it right because you're paying for the project from future savings. Um, and uh, you know, in the United States, we, we, we do these commonly but we have a lot of institutions that you don't have in developing countries, which makes this a little more challenging. What we have in the Solomons is unfortunately for them, uh, an incredibly, they have the highest electricity prices in the world, literally. Um, they, are, they produce 99% of their electricity from diesel oil generation. Um, and so when we were doing the profiles, working with utility last year, Profiles indicated that their cost per kilowatt was about 65 cents per kilowatt hour. When I was over there, um, just anecdotally talking to different companies and so forth, it appears that with the big Ukrainian-Russian war, their uh, their prices are now up in the neighborhood of 90 cents a kilowatt hour. Wow. So. Wow. You know, it's just the they're more, just the more needs you're doing. It's it's awful. And um, so it was very interesting. So I was over there uh, talking to um, 
one nice thing about being in a country like this, it's small. There's a, a population of 700,000. Um, and, um, you know, you can get access to pretty high level people. Um, and so I met with the Minister of Mines and Energy, uh, where we have a lot of support. I met with the uh, chairman of the board and the CEO of Solomon Power. And, uh, you know, the utility is, you know, like most utilities, they're, uh, they're not anxious to do new things. And yet the Ministry uh, of Energy is just so aware that the country's being killed with these high energy prices. So they're looking at us like Nirvana, like the savior, um, because utility just, you know, they got a, a 15 megawatt hydro project that was supposed to be online now because of COVID and other things, probably not going to be online for another three or four years. So that was supposed to be save them. But in the meantime, they're doing nothing other than this hydro and you know, in reading on the in the documents, like this is going to supply about 75% of uh, Guadalcanal's uh, power. And so there's a 25% band and they're doing nothing on the 25% band. They've got, they're getting energy access money from the World Bank and Asia Development Bank uh, to do um, solar hybrids. So like 150 to 300 kilowatt solar units, uh, diesel backup and some battery storage. And, uh, and that's all they're doing. And these go, this is going to the provinces. So they were doing nothing on the 25%. So there was a, a renewable energy roadmap that came out last year that was produced by a Japanese uh, um, agency, JICA. Um, they commissioned it. It was a renewable energy roadmap. And the renewable energy roadmap said, you ought to be installing four megawatts a year in Guadalcanal. And so I said, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm getting a, a, I'm, you're, you're giving everybody a really strong sense of who you are uh, because you're fired up about your latest project. And like you said, you're, you're drawing on all these, you know, decades of, of works uh, in China, in Central America and Capitol Hill in Massachusetts all of these amazing environments um and 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 you're you're um you could easily retire if you want to but you don't want to and i know that a big part of your life is balance and you're i just want to ask you a couple of questions about balance in life but uh i know you love to ski uh and that's pretty amazing um i love to ski also and then you love to sail and i'm looking forward to sailing with you this summer are these the ways that you at this at this point in your life that you're able to have that balance and some of the appreciation of all this all the all the work that you put in the trenches that you can kick back a little bit and be more advisory? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I love building things and I really love building teams. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends who are retired, you know, say, Rob, why don't you retire? Um, and I said, I get so much fun out of doing this. I mean, there was such a high when you go and, you know, like we're in the Solomon Islands. I'm realizing because we're going to build, we're going to build a new company, Solomon Clean Energy Partners, which is going to be hiring Solomon engineers, technicians, workers, and so forth. And they're going to have a clean energy sector that they, that they nor any Pacific Island has right now, because no reasonable developer would go to these little islands. The projects are too small. But we can keep our overhead low by hiring local people there. Uh, and, you know, we can basically be the 
take the role that the utility should be doing, build the solar, the efficiency. And when that hydro comes online um, and we do, you know, three to four megawatts of solar per year, they could go from this absolutely draconian situation to be 100% renewable in like 10 or 12 years. Yeah. And so, so I get yeah, you get really excited about that. You jazzed about it. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really a great lesson in life. If you find what you really love to do, and it could be many, many things that you love to do, but if you find one of those, Hey, I'm not going to retire. <laughs> I love what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I, and, but getting, getting back to your point about the sailing and skiing. Yeah. I I've skied all my life. I sailed all my life. And um, you know, you'll be joining me on our 35 foot cruising sailboat. And um, so I sail a lot in Maine. And, and so the nice thing about being CEO of your own company is you can organize your time around the fact that you protect your summer sailing. <laughs> so uh, so I, I sail I sail all of August. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping on the boat 30 straight days. And we go to inhabited islands, uninhabited islands, interesting peninsulas. We're all over. And it is so scenic in Maine. It's the, it's really some of the best cruising grounds in the world. And uh, so it's a wonderful place to sail. Can't wait. Can't wait. Hey, listen, good discussion. I'll be talking to you really soon. Thanks for this this afternoon. Well, I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing you in the not too distant future. Thanks, Rob. Take care. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's it, folks. Thanks again for joining this episode of Flanagan's Net Positive Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.